foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. Hey, everyone, it's Danny here. What you're going to hear in this episode are two separate recording sessions that we put together because they fit very well, and they're about the same subject. So you're going to hear some differences in audio as we move between our typical recording environment and a live audience book release party in Ventura, California for Katie's book, Dynamic Aging. So I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording them both. Thanks. I also liked Joan's butt story. <laughs> I'm like, I she's going to be so happy about that. I know. <laughs> Welcome to the Katie Says Podcast, where Danny Hemet, that's me, and Katie Bowman talk about movement, the tiny details, the larger issues, and why movement matters. I'm Katie Bowman, biomechanist and author of Move Your DNA. And I'm Danny Hemet, a chronically curious movement geek. So today we're going to talk about your latest book, Dynamic Aging. And for some reason, I had it in my head that you had already co-authored a book, your first book, with Dr. Teresa Perales. But I don't know why I even thought that. Is it because she wrote the foreword to the original foot book? Yeah, no, there's or, a podiatrist's foreword, but no, I wrote that. Puppy. Okay, well, so this is really your first book with co-authors, and you have mm-hmm. four, four co-authors. I like to make up for lost time. Yeah. <laughs> I think you still need a couple more if we want to even out, like, books per co-authors, but... I cannot wait to meet these women. They seem pretty rad. You've never met any of them? Nope. Really? Nope. Well, then, yeah, no, they are, they're exceptional. They are exceptional, as are you. Oh, but well, they are, you. yeah, they're, they're, I think, I think they're going to change minds way more so than I ever could if I had written, 
like presented this book on my own. I agree with you. I I agree with you. And so I just want to say, if people are wondering how I get to meet them, I actually get to meet them this coming weekend for a little book release party. We're going to do a Q&A with them in California. That's right. You're coming yes. to California. They are in California. I am going to California. You are going to California. <laughs> there there will be meetings. There will be interviews. Yeah, big release well, party. I'm pretty excited because these seem like seriously dynamic women. Yeah. And I think they added so much. Like like you said, I really, I don't think you could have, no offense. No, none taken. <laughs> but, but <I laughs> Whatever you're about it, to say, no yes. offense taken. <laughs> it wouldn't have been the same book had you done no. it. No. I really like that they are such a huge part of it. Before we get into some of the things that I really love about the book, and I haven't got my hard copy yet, I'm just saying, but I know you were mailing like a crazy woman for a while there. Yes. How would you describe this book? Good question. I like how we always just talk about something for a long time before (laughs) saying what it is that we're talking about. We'd like to keep you on your toes, (laughs) listeners. Dynamic Aging Simple Exercises for Whole Body Mobility. That's the title of the book and the subtitle. It is a book that introduces perhaps the idea that one of the reasons we tend that maybe either people experience a a decrease or a decline in their ability to move or maybe one of the reasons that stigma exists where like you just slow down as you get older, mm-hmm. that, that we've, we kind of, our perception is that, that physical movement decline happens lockstep with aging. That's our, our perception of it. But the book is introducing the idea of like, well, what if it's not that your tissues have this like programmed to break down phenomena, thus making movement less easy for you, but that you have actually been moving hardly at all and how you are able to move right now, if that's a decrease, is the result of your adaptation to not moving for a longer period of time. Meaning, let's say that one of the authors of this book, co-authors of this book, is 70 and I'm 30. She, and let's say we have the same exercise habit, but around that exercise, we have that same amount of sedentarism, which is all the other times when we're not exercising. What happens when you are sedentary for 60 years, that adaptation is going to be more significant than had I only been sedentary for 30 years. And so what if you could start working on the boundary of your sedentarism and eking back that movability little bits at a time. So that's what the book is about. That's like the general, that's like in in the introduction, just like that boom. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're too old to move. I think that you've been not moving for a really long time. And those are two different things because one of them kind of seems like your tissues are not movement friendly because of your age, right? Where it's like, well, What if it's because of your habit? And you can't change your biological age, your chronological age, but you can change your habits. I think maybe we should just start off talking a little bit about how this book came to fruition. (laughs) Can we do that? Sure. 
Who wants to start? Uh, I, I want to start. All right. Okay, go so there. go ahead and just, you know, Get up there and talk to Mr. Mike. Okay, here. so Joan and I teach a class in Ojai that is that is uh, ha- has been very successful. And one of our students came, uh, there was a Christmas about four years ago where both of her, both her mother and her mother-in-law, who are back east, fell and had uh, rather severe injuries. So she asked us for... Uh, pictures and written explanation of how they could help themselves. And so I will now pass it to Joan. (laughs) (laughs) We were already a group. I had looked around and found the four septuagenarians who had studied with Katie and gotten our restorative exercise (laughs) specialization (laughs) certification. And uh, I said, hey, you know, Maybe we should hang out together and find out what it's doing for us, because I'm amazed at what it's doing for me. And so we started meeting once a month, and we called our group Soup and Seas, because that's what we ate, (laughs) soup and a box of Seas chocolate. (laughs) It was the early days. (laughs) Yeah, we've kind of burned out on Seas, actually. Now we're trying trying other chocolates. We've not burned out on chocolate, though, no. So anyway, when this uh, student of ours came along and said this, I said, hey, we were actually writing another book. We were writing our experiences of Katie and of how your work has changed our lives as we've gotten older. And um, so we took a break. I said, hey, let's just take a couple of weeks and we'll whip this thing out for, for this <laughs> So a year later, <laughs> but it bonded us. I guess you'd say that. <laughs> anyway, I think for me, what I've seen is that, uh, like good wine, I like to say, uh, I have just been getting better with age. And so I started out when I was 71, and I'll be 79 in May. And uh, yeah, take a look at me up a tree. <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day, uh, why? Why would you climb a tree? And I said, yeah, good question. You know, before Katie, I never knew that anybody over 12 climbed a tree. But when she said, sure, then I said, well, all right. I'm going to give it a shot. There you have it. Okay. Oh, yes. Well, then how did that book turn into this book? I feel like there's some steps missing. That's... That's oh oh well, well then we we met with Katie in March of 2014. I like to bring that up. Wow, that you have the date. I You're do. such a lawyer. You're such a great attorney. <laughs> yeah, notice that when I sign your book, I put a date on it. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll always know when you got that signature. And I don't sign my full name. Notice that. <laughs> Even though you may be able to copy it, it won't do you any good. <laughs> there you have it. Anyway, we just <laughs> so many so many tips in this book. <laughs> Free legal advice. So anyway, we asked Katie, uh, we submitted it to her and said, hey, we would like to do this for this friend of ours. And Katie basically came back with a really lengthy email, which is... Doesn't sound like me. Unusual. Yeah. Yeah. I saved it. Yeah, I'm sure you did. It's dated. It's dated. It's dated. And uh, she said, well, first of all, you can't do this. And we said, oh, shoot, we thought we could. But then she explained to us, she made us a counteroffer where she would write the substantive portion. And we said, well, we wanted to keep it really short. And she said, well, don't you think that this would be better if they had something substantive to base these exercises on? And we said, yeah, as a matter of fact, we do. And so we worked with her, and and it's been a blast. Well, my our editor sent a note. She said originally when I had pitched it to her, it was on a phone call because I was thinking I had written a couple other pieces already for 
gold in our populations for other publications that maybe no one else would have even seen, private publications about the driving. And I did a big research project when I was in graduate school on exercise adherence for this particular population that was just sitting there. I mean, I'd been working on it for 10 years. (laughs) But I had still pitched this to the editor. It would be a notebook, because I still didn't imagine it. What they had sent me was kind of more of a... Booklet. Yeah, it was a booklet. And I think booklet was the actual word I used. Like maybe something spiral-bound, 30 to 40 pages. This is, I think, the longest book to date, with with the exception of the compilation of five years of blog posts. It's the longest one. It's got big type. It does. It's got big type. But when it was accidentally laid down out with smaller type, it wasn't that much. It's it's a substantial book. And uh, that's what it's become. And that, that from them pitching to it coming out, it seems like there was still two and a half years, maybe uh-huh. three. It was a long time. Books take a long time, and there's been a couple other books that have come out in the meantime. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's a small publishing house with one staff, right? So there's not a lot of chance to do multiple projects at once. So anyway, <laughs> this was actually the perfect time for it. And it is today looking like it's going to be maybe the most popular or far-reaching book. Because I used to think that, yeah, right? I used to think that, you know, that if you were in a, if you had a particular level of, let's we'll say fitness or physical competency that you could teach everyone who fell below it. But really, you can teach best the levels of fitness that you yourself have worked through. And so this book, it's reaching an area that very few people have ever trained through. So that means that there's a huge bulk of the population that's never had a fitness book or a movement book written for them by them, essentially. So it's going to be very exciting to see what's happening. It's been the first of our books, I don't know if I told you or anyone told you that, has been bought by Walmart. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whoa. Right, which means, you know, which just means it's a book that they think that people as they walk by will be massive appeal. Yeah, thanks to whoever said that. So, yeah. You really deal with a lot of attitude and perception early on in the book, which I think is important, too. Well, and I do so because... Hold that thought for a second. So, the like, the rest of this book, that's my point. But then... It's easy to say that when you're 40, right? Like, hey, everyone out there who's 70, just try it, you know, and trust me. It's what I say that all the time, and you should. But <laughs> I felt like what the reason that I'm saying it is because I've worked with lots of people. It's not just like my idea. I've I've worked with lots of people who have made, you know, huge transitions, huge improvements in their ability to move through working specifically on how they move, how much they move. And my co-authors are people that I've worked with for almost 10 years, meaning wow. they came in in their late 60s and early 70s, and they are they are telling you how they are 10 years later, right? They have aged 10 years chronologically, and all of them move better than they did when they came in 10 years ago, which means like their movement has increased with their chronological age, 
which kind of shatters that perception that we have that there's an inevitable decline. Right. So how the book came about was they, you know, they all became movement teachers themselves of a lot of the the exercises. They all went through our certification program that we had at that time. And and they started working with other people with like their peers, right? Coaching mm-hmm. them through these types of things. And they said, we've made Pardon this. Pardon me, all four of them were certified? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, so, I mean, they've studied this stuff in depth, you know, like they, they're not like the five or 10 exercises. They're like, we want to learn it all. We want to learn how it cool. works. And, and they've ch- radically changed their lives. I was standing here listening to all the conversation and what kept going through my mind was 10, 11 years ago when I first was pushed into Katie's door. Who pushed you? Delia. Where are you, Delia? Delia? there. (laughs) I'd always loved exercise, swimming, walking, hiking, all the sports, tennis, you name it, I loved it. And then when I injured myself doing yoga... (laughs) It spread from one knee to the other knee, and it spread to the neck. And so for 10 years before I met Katie, I'd lived with trying to deal with a lot of pain and to keep it at bay. And I continued to use yoga. I continued to use Tai Chi. I was a movement freak, and it just only kept it for that period. I could never get on top of it. And after I got pushed into Katie's office, and I had a wonderful chiropractor... That changed. It's an amazing, and I was just sitting here thinking, what changed for me? I was watching you all sitting on the floor, all comfortable, and for me personally, I never knew the different way I could hold my body standing or sitting, and it would make such a difference in my health, which I never knew either, in addition to pain. And it's it's so simple. We wrote a book, and yet it's really about how we hold our bodies. That's all I have to say. Wow. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm Sheila, and uh, when we started on this book, we were working on our memoirs, which I'm not a good... <laughs> I can't spell, so I don't write that well. Um, they said, let's do an exercise book, and I said... Whoa, yeah, I can do that. I'm a graphic designer. Yay! So I got really excited, and we took a lot of pictures, and we made illustrations and everything, and that was really fun. And Katie, I want to tell you, you have the best publishing staff ever. I love Penelope and Stephanie. They have been so kind. It was a, it was a pleasure to work with people in Canada. Canada. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. Uh, and I've been taking classes with Katie since I was 67 or 8, and I retired from a job as a graphic designer, sitting on my butt all the time, and it made a tremendous difference, and I've just hung with it all this time, and it's been great. It's one thing for me to make the recommendations. Mm-hmm. But then they, within that peer group, would say, here were like the four or five other things that we actually needed to add to be successful. So they had this oh, valuable cool. insight being of a particular movement culture, which is like, here were the things in my head that would maybe limit me from doing this. So we added this. So we kind of blended it. And it just grew and grew. It grew into my, lo- like, maybe one of my longer movement books. Mm-hmm. 
And so the fact that it started off as this tiny booklet and now has been, it's a very robust movement guide. It is. As well as their stories, right? Like it's, it's, they are, and so that's what it is. It's a, I mean, would you even call it an exercise book or would you call it what, like a movement memoir almost? Or what would you? I don't know. It's, yeah, it's almost like a text or a manual. What they add to it is so interesting. And I, their stories were probably one of my favorite parts. But I really like yeah, the layout like, of it, too. Like, yeah. the way you've ordered it. I think it's, it's like probably, chicken soup for the soul. You well, know what yeah, I mean? It's almost like, your most friendly for everybody book. Even for, though for, it's dynamic for, aging. I really think I could hand that to anybody and they would be totally not intimidated by it. And they would get, they would get a lot from it. It's definitely a book geared towards someone new to movement. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel like there's a, gr- a group of people who would say, well, I need things, you know, bigger or faster, but I think that there's often missing. I think that there's like fitness books or exercise books are usually written for people who are already exercising, who just might want to try a new program. I tried to gear this book towards someone with no movement background at all. Like you are starting from scratch Here's here's things that are highly effective yet very gentle. So you it's not it's not for people who are older or or goldener, if you will, right? So to go back to that question about one of the reasons we talk about perception so early on is because when they handed me this notebook or as we were working on the book, the co-authors were like, we don't we don't like the word old or senior. Or these like negative words. I know you threw geriatric in there. It's like, that's a terrible word. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, the word is how you how you feel about it, right? It's Well, it's you know, never it's, attached to anything great. Really? There's no, like, <laughs> there's no geriatric puppies or anything like oh. geriatric pizza. <laughs> oh, no. So, yes, but in gen- but it's just that, right? And so I there's a lot of research on words and motivation for exercise and I mean, even the cover, even to do the cover of this book, as we were looking through images of, let's look at other fitness books or, or exercise books written particularly for this specific demographic. And it was less like dated. It, they mm. all like look like they all had hand weights, like one pound hand weight. It was just not, yeah. it wasn't the motivation of like, no, you can be this like fluid, dynamic gazelle yeah i mean like that's not doesn't have to be linked to age 35 right that can go for any age it can go from zero to 99 and so we just shot them for the cover yeah (laughs) well and they prove that in all their stories i mean for those of us that grew up in the era of the sit and be fit lady as far as you know exercise for anybody over 40 it was they really give evidence of how you can move better at any age what you recommend for uh, easy ways to keep your upper body strength. Okay. <laughs> you really want to The know? question is, what do we recommend? What, well, how about just, what's your favorite yeah. way of keeping your upper body, all the different points that you're thinking about? Like, uh, are you looking for tricks yeah, or? Just something that's easy, that's available, or if, if, you know, should we erect something to hang from in our backyard? Oh, yeah. So what's your one favorite upper body alignment tip, if you will? Mine is get your shoulders down and your ribs down. I do it 100,000 times a day. <laughs> shoulders down, ribs down. We can all do it right now. Thank you. Okay. I guess my favorite one is um, hanging from a bar in my closet. 
which I haven't been doing for, <laughs> I was employed for 11 months, and I gave that up. I'm looking forward to getting back to it. But I did it for about eight, nine years. And then I go to the parks and hang from bars there. Oh, did it freak anyone out that they saw you hanging from the bars? Did they do what? Did they like when they saw you hanging from the bars? What's the or trees? Or trees? They, any any get any commentary? Like not much. I love that. That's not great. Not much. No. Mm-hmm. The kids always ask me, "What are you doing?" Right. <laughs> 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 Uh, for me, I live on a ranch, and I have a lot of uh, live oak trees. And so after meeting Katie and, and hearing it was okay to climb a tree, mm-hmm. I started looking for trees that I could reach and that I could climb up. And so for me, mm-hmm. that has worked really, really well, uh, the uh, ability to you know hold on and climb up the trunk of the tree and, and wrap my legs around it. But <clears throat> not everybody has a tree. And so uh, the bar, like Joyce is mentioning, I have that over my doorway at home. And it has three different ways that I can hold it so that I can work, you know, all of that. But also things like the plank. You know, anything that uses also at night, um, just, just before going to bed, I'm in the kitchen getting water. And I have two counters that are the same height. And so I put a hand on each side and then see if I can lift my body off the floor. So that builds upper body strength for me. Okay, so I think my favorite, I, I think I do a lot of things that strengthen my upper body. I do, ha- I do enjoy hanging, and it's not a fancy apparatus. It's just a, a plumber's pipe that is screwed up on a beam in my house, uh, out, just outside my house, actually. But I do hang every day. And I can now get maybe this much lift uh, when I hang, you know. Um, (laughs) I love those uh, in that inch and a half. But but I also, on a daily basis, I'm carrying buckets of water, maybe in both hands. I'm doing I'm doing a whole lot of yard work, uh, and uh, and it's all upper body. I put in a a little orchard that required a lot of heavy. Uh, digging and um, and I think that's how I I most enjoy getting my exercise. They are sharing specifically like I'm working my way through hiking right. through all the national forests and I did some barefoot and I climbed tree. You know, it's like it's it's not that kind of watered down. Make sure you walk one mile a day. You know, it, right. it, it, it's really three-dimensional. They are mm-hmm. offering a three-dimensional movement experience that I have never seen written about in a book for this particular demographic. Yeah. Well, and I've only read it once, but I just found it very empowering, like not at all pandering, which was wonderful. And the sidebars are probably my favorite. What's a sidebar? Which sidebar? There's all their little stories and they're they're here to do oh, this yeah. and do that. I mean, that's I loved I loved those. Their tips, like when yes, they're like, Here, here's yes. my tip, here's my story. Yeah, right. they're so they great. were awesome. And and like I said earlier, the book, I really feel like I could hand it to anybody and and they would get something. They would get a lot out of it. Well, okay, you told me how you came to to do the book with them. And the book starts out with each author contributing their own stories, like which made me like them all immediately. They were just so frank. There was just definitely no sugarcoating, and they said where they were and where they're at now. But I liked right away, I think it was on page 21, and what's her name, Laura? 
Hold on, let me flip open my physical copy. Oh, <laughs> that must be nice. It's nice, it's weighty. It's really weighty. <sighs> All right, hold on, 21. Yes, that is. Yes, and she's, well, 21 on my early, yeah. early copy. Laura is talking about, you know, how everything's so much, how she can hike and do all this stuff and on steep terrain and everything. But she just says, the biggest reward is finding that aging isn't bad after all. Aging is an opportunity to move, play, and expand into new areas. So right there, she kind of just sets the, you know, this is where we're at with it, the tone. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that. I actually liked them all right away after I read their stories. And they're not all, like you said, in, I wouldn't want to say perfect, but they're just not in all swinging from trees shape. Like when Sheila talks about, you know, going, exercising with you and getting to be so much more functional and then hurting herself. But then she talks about the resilience of you're older, but having that, where was that quote? Well, there was one point where, so, so Sheila, I believe, has, you know, a bit of scoliosis, right? So she, like so many people of any age, are constantly trying to negotiate their physical experience, their shape, with still the need to move. Mm -hmm. And so we all kind of overshoot sometimes, and we also all undershoot sometimes. So she's, you know, she's exercising regularly, and then it was something, I think she was moving something in her closet, and then like, oh, there goes her back, right? So then common is to stop moving altogether to go look see I can't move and then you just stop but then she was like well one things that being having become a regular mover allowed her was to start moving gently instead of just going you know being bedridden for a long period of time she just kind of started she adjusted her training Mm -hmm. to a way where she could keep moving but wouldn't exacerbate that particular injury and like these are realities these are realities of it of a of a physical body is it doesn't it's it's going to change abilities mm-hmm. throughout your life that is the reality of it but alongside that reality is movement is also still a necessity so we tend to easily step away from movement because we don't have a very large toolbox of ways to move outside of usually the ways that hurt us you know so it's a it was it's fun to watch them express their experiences, both with the exercisers and being movers, you know, right. just being moving through their their regular daily life. Another cue. Um, yeah. I have a question about this the starting place. You know, if you think back to when you first started doing this work, what, were you intimidated? Were there correctional exercises that seemed easier to like approach? My mother-in-law has some foot issues and knee issues that I know, I'm actually bringing a copy back to her, and um, I think she's eager and I'm very much encouraged to hear, wow, women were are moving better 10 years later. I want that. But if you're currently facing a health issue, it can be intimidating. Who was currently facing a health issue when they came in here? All of us. They were all like pre-surgery, pre-health so issue. Yeah. Okay. Um, I am currently facing a health issue. I have severe scoliosis, and it's trapped some nerves in my vertebrae, and it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. However, 
having worked with Katie since I was 67 and now I'm 79, I have some idea what to do for it. I mean, I get other help from other folks, but I have an idea what to do for it. And I think that's the most valuable thing. I don't have to rely on the PT or the doctor or whatever. I have an idea what to do for it. And that's the best. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Do it, girl. Yeah, as you know, we all had injuries and surgeries awaiting um, other interventions. But the... Um, Doing Katie's work, I realized, and in the beginning, it was so different. When I got thrown in her studio, I knew everything. We know it was against your will. We got it. <laughs> when I was smashed in the door. But, but if you actually get into this, you will see that it's opening like a whole other world. It doesn't take away the world we live in, but there's another world that interfaces and that's what has made the healing for me I can say something if you want or not yeah I think absolutely it's to her I mean do okay you want so so yeah. <laughs> it's your question if uh, uh, yeah the question I, I had the usual I was already scheduled for for knee surgery and uh, was told I absolutely had to have a replacement because I had a 13 degree um, frozen knee and um, and here's the one that, <laughs> that smashed me in the door. <laughs> because, because being a movement therapist, I thought I knew it all. And, uh, and I didn't. I, it was an entirely different paradigm. But what I want to tell you about this is, Katie said something in a class once that got the whole picture in one short sentence. When I went in, I couldn't stand on one uh, I could. I had poor balance, and I couldn't stand on uh, one foot at all. And she was doing uh, some intricate things, and I said, "Oh, can I can I use that uh, wheel?" Or it, there was something around in the classroom that I said, "I uh, can I go get that to use as my support?" And she said, "You'll be, don't be shocked because she was very truthful and and got the whole picture out in one sentence." Oh, are you training to use a cane? Now think about that. Did I say that? You did. <laughs> and, and being one who really likes truth and, and have it direct so my brain really gets it in an instant, I was delighted. So, so that's why I said, because I've told that to, story to other people and they're, oh no, you know, uh, I said, no, I'm, I'm very grateful. <laughs> For me, it was totally intimidating because I didn't come from a yoga background. I'm the most inflexible person at many levels. Uh, <laughs> and I was a, a weightlifter. I actually taught older adults how to lift weights to maintain their bone density. So when I started with Katie, um, I was very, uh, you know, prove it to me. Anyway, what I found was she was so logical. What she taught was so very logical that I could grasp it, and so I started. But I was, oh, my, so bad at every exercise. You just can't imagine because I am so, I am so stiff, even to this day. 
But it's, I've improved. You know, it's better than where I started out and where I suspect I was headed. Oh, right. Had I, had yeah. I not done it. So, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Well, I apologize for that. I don't remember No, it must have been the early morning class, the 7 a.m. class. She needed to hear. But maybe that's what it was. So I, exactly. I, I, think I that's loved it. it. Yeah, okay, it, good. It really caught yeah. my attention. Sometimes you just do that Sometimes stuff to us. All right. Works, yeah. So. No, the people outside, oh, yeah. they could come in. You guys can come in. Come in. Come in. Come in. There's plenty of space. There's tons of room right here. It's Annie. Hi, Annie. Come in. Oh, All the way. I knew the first lesson. I didn't have a clue what it was. I just knew something was really different. And bit by bit, I figured out it was the loading of the body. And I'm still learning to do that. How long, how long though, for your knee... To heal? How many years, yeah, did it take for your knee to heal or, or to be able to move, like, before you were able to do such a good squat or whatever? How many years? I think well, that's more the nature of your question is... Yeah. I, I think a I, lot of people want to know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When was I squatting in class? <laughs> when you were, the last six years. years are a blur. Yeah, a few years yeah. before I could squat, but then the body finds other weak points, and so you lose some of your mobility, and then you work on that, and you get it back. It's not a straight line. It's really, for me, you know, up and down. We don't know the stress risers that are going to go. I did my Achilles tendon. It took me a year to heal that, and I feel that was a stress riser because of the tight muscles my whole life so when my foot went in the stumbled it wasn't because it stumbled it was because there were already muscles waiting to give that I didn't know about well, for me I'm more of a record keeper as you might have guessed <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can give, I can give you the date could you just read the I list, the list. Okay. <laughs> so uh, more than you ever wanted to know I suffered from chronic constipation and by the time you get into your 70s it becomes really scary because either you're going to have to be taking something on a regular basis or you're going to be in a lot of trouble and within three years of starting the program that went away completely and so and I'm almost eight years into the program so that that was a that was huge and to this day I think maybe when you talked to the producer on, uh, the other day, I think you said it. I, I never knew why, you know, what it did. Oh, yeah. You know, what caused it. But mm -hmm. Katie mentioned that it's the 
moving of my Well, the guy was like, really? He's like, your chron- how, how many years or decades was your constipation? Well, I was... It's all on the table now. 70, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was 75 when it finally went away. Well, when did it start? So, as, a, like, um, as a kid. All right, so all you're talking a lot of... 50 years. Yeah, at least. And he was like, from back... So 50 years of constipation by... For, for me, it was probably abdominal release. Abdominal release is a big yeah. mobility. And he was just like, it's so... He could see one small exercise, but I could see 24 hours of upward force for 50 years just not doing that anymore. So it's like it's, it's one exercise, yes, but it's an entire pressure system change. So it's a whole body instantaneous change. And so it's just a way of how you quantify things. Like you can quantify things lots of different ways. So, so that was really big. The other thing was that I could not walk barefoot even on the sand, and I was a big barefoot person, and so I, I had to always wear orthotics. And so I, when I started, I, was, I, I went to Earth Shoes, the uh, negative heel shoe, and uh, was doing the exercises on a regular basis. And I would say that within a year, uh, I was down to the Vibrams, the, the minimal shoes, and I hiked three to five miles a day in the Vibrams over an, an uneven surface. Yeah, with just a little metatarsal pad. And so that's been huge for me. It brought that all back. And I guess the third thing for me is the uh, pelvic prolapse. Now you know everything there is to know about it. <laughs> what can I tell you? Tell us about it, Joan. No, yeah, nothing, nothing is private anymore. I was scheduled for major reconstructive surgery in 2008, and I still haven't. So uh, I attribute a lot of that to learning how to walk properly uh, through the gait classes Mm -hmm. and and basically it's the whole body. It is. Okay, I found the quote. She said, she wrote, moving better doesn't automatically mean you don't get injured, but it makes you more resilient if you do. Mm -hmm. I think everybody at every age needs to know that. Sure. Very helpful. What else did I... I loved so much. I have all these, like, crazy mishmash notes about it. Like, Joan's... love the sidebars. I know. I love the sidebars. They were just... Was that... When they had came to you with the booklet, did they have those tips and sidebars? Or was that kind of like a co- collaboration? No. They had... I mean, they really just had 10 of my exercises just bulleted. Mm-hmm. So, there, like, there wasn't their story. But when I, when I... As soon as I got it... I was realizing, oh, you know what's valuable here is actually their story. Right. And so I can I can design the programming and write the exercises and kind of like the science behind the exercises and then gear that level of technicality to my audience. Like that's what I do is, you know, I'm not going to write about mechanotransduction and super technical things, you know, or telomeres. You know, I, I choose how technical to get because if you go too technical – it goes, it can just kind of overshoot. And then if you go not, if you offer not enough detail, like there's not enough context for why we would be doing these things. So I said, I can handle all of this, but here's what I want. What are your favorite, like, what's your favorite? I just, it's like, it's a writing assignment. They they had a lot, they have a year of writing assignments, which is what's your favorite exercise and why, you know, what, what was, and then after you get a bunch of that information, then, you know, editors are really great at going through and going, I'm motivated by this piece. This is a beautiful illustration of this point. So then they were able to quilt almost their 
their stories with the information. And then, of course, editors are also good at knowing where to put them in. You know, mm-hmm. I'm talking about pelvic list, blah, blah, balance, lateral hip muscle. Uh. But then you go, you know, Sheila's story of going, wow, I've traveled the world and I've never been as confident as I was after I learned the pelvic list because I could negotiate cobblestones more easily. So it, that's what makes a book readable is when when someone knows that after being given a kind of a technical of example of something that you have a story mm-hmm. to go with it that allows you to to have an emotion attached to it maybe almost you know yeah well so, they were well placed for that i the, yeah. the editor did a great job because that's everything was exactly where you'd you'd want it to be so am i right in saying you like the sidebars i like this right? <laughs> i love them i love them okay. i also liked joan's butt story <laughs> I'm like, I read She's going to be so happy about that. I know. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, how old is this woman? She's, well, she, she was the, was she the She's oldest? 79. No, okay. no, Joyce is the oh, oldest. That's right. She's okay. 80. Joyce is 80. Joan's 79. Yeah, 79. And she's building a butt. I just mm-hmm. thought this was such a wonderful illustration of how it's never too late to improve. That we talked about how the ship leaves the harbor a million times a day. And, and each of those times you have the option to change or improve. And I mean, I don't or build a butt. You could build a butt whenever. And I just, yeah, that was awesome. Kudos to her for throwing that one out there. That's right. We were going to use a picture of her butt on the camera, but we decided on. <laughs> Maybe the second printing. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you give nice little nods to joint replacements because that is a reality. And not just with people who are goldeners. I mean, nope, not did, anymore. Did you just say something the other day like, Laird Hamilton and Gabby Reese. Yeah. And, you know, geez, I never think of them well, as. No, they are young, fit athletes, you know, right, but, but a lot of people have them. Yeah. That was cool that you put that in there. So anybody that would be interested in that book, but that has joint replacements, say, what do you call it? Not the accommodations. Sorry. This modification. Modification. Contra, thank contra, you. Contra That's what I get for having yeah. my, my pluggy cold head. <laughs> you talked about the fear of falling. Mm-hmm. And there was a little sidebar about Elliot Royce, which was kind of cool. It was kind of like uh, judo, I think. Did you find him or was that somebody that they had heard about? No, before? that was my edition. So, okay. I mean, any side, I wrote a lot. I wrote a lot of sidebars too, but. <laughs> <laughs> I still like And that him. was a sidebar. Thanks. Y- you know, I had done a big research paper when I was in graduate school on one of the reasons I thought I would do this book is because I had done a lot of research on this particular population in graduate school. And it was, I mean, I wrote a few papers on it just, you know, within my university about strategies, like success strategies, movement is a culture, ex- exercise is a culture. And so the culture that most people are familiar with is, is fitness gym culture, but the range of people using that particular outlet's pretty narrow, pretty small as far as age goes. Like you're not, you don't see equal amounts of 72 year olds in gyms as you would see 27 year olds. Right. So there's a, there's reasons for that. And I was interested in those reasons. So there was that. And then also the fear of falling was a big Mm. research section for me when I was in graduate school, because there are biomechanical changes when you are afraid of falling it's kind of interesting. They're trying to figure out like how falls happen. So there's just an interesting bit. This of was data. very fascinating, this part. Tell us. Well, there's slipping and tripping, right? So there's two kind of ways of falling. There are two different things. 
But one of the strategies for mitigating a fall, and if you want to embody it, just go walking where it's where you know it's slippery and you will see the natural response of your body to slightly bend your knees, put your hands out to the side, tuck your tailbone a little bit and and shuffle, mm-hmm. you know, not fully pick up, not not doing your normal push off stride that that goes away. But what they found was people were doing that not on ice and that when they were interviewing people trying to quantify their fear of falling, they noticed that. And then were they afraid of falling because they had already falled? Falled. Wow. Oh my gosh. I write books. Because, not because they had already fallen. <laughs> Thank I God just, for editors. Oh, did I tell yeah. you I walked 41 miles in the last two days? I, no, I thought it was more beat. than that. I thought you, you passed. It was actually, four, I think it was like 46. It, it was like 46. Mm. Are you tired? I am very much okay. so. I've, I've, <laughs> I've fallen asleep right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead and told your story. Tell, yeah, that people who hadn't actually fallen but were afraid of falling had modified their gait to the gait that actually increases the risk of falling. Wow. That once you're shuffling along, that's what often precedes a fall, right? You're not clearing anything. You're not able to step over things. And it's okay when you're in your house and you removed all of the obstacles in your house or you're memorized, you know, the same walking paths within your house but then you go over to your friend's house or you go shopping and someone left something out or there's a new crack in the ground or someone was standing in the way that you normally go and you walked around them and you have a new environment that you are you've deconditioned yourself to responding to so that that fear is itself a risk factor for falling so then we go okay where does why are people afraid of falling and obviously because of the injuries But then I was interested in why there are things you can do like physical strength, joint mobility, muscle mass, alignment or posture, like the like the shape of your body as you take to walking. Those are the things that can actually mitigate the fall, Mm. not not the actual just like shuffling along so that you never trip over anything. So I I was just thought it was important to kind of know it. If you're worried about falling, that what you can do is start training yourself so that you're more physically robust to handle it. And then thus that fear can dissipate. And both of those things will eke yourself out of that kind of shuffling gait that's often associated with aging, right? When we see people who have that particular gait, like, oh, that's like the, if you're playing charades, that's how you would mime the old old person person crossing the street, but it's just this, it's this natural response to the the fear that you might fall. Wow. Yeah. I found that very fascinating. How old is Joyce again? Joyce is 80. Okay. For those of you listening, I want to read this to you. Joyce says, within a few years of starting to work with Katie, I once again was able to climb ladders and step ladders without fear. It was a marvelous feeling of personal power that I'm grateful for. I love that. In the past few years, I have realized that once again, I can climb stairs, go downstairs, climb mountains, go down mountains, skip, hop, jump, and leap for fun, and also when I need to. I can squat, sit on the floor with comfort, sleep on the floor with comfort, kneel, hang from trees, swing on bars. I mean, that's awesome. Like, this is a real— Joyce is the bomb. 
This Joyce is a is real person, everybody. Yeah. And it just goes, it sounds like my mom, it goes to show you that <laughs> it is, you, you can do this. I mean, I just, I love it. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. You can. I mean, that's I why know. they're the co-authors, it's, it's right? Crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I always say that I move better at 46 than I did at 25. And it's, it's the truth. And these gals really, what you've done with them, it's that much more affirming. You know, keep on keeping on. I struggled to walk my 30 miles last year because of ankle, an ankle injury. I did mm-hmm. it, but it was, you know, I was really pushing it that last little bit. And I was like looking, I'm like, okay, what gave me trouble? And then this year I was able to walk 40 plus miles and that didn't come up this year. I was That's able cool. to go farther, longer, less pain older. And I think that that understanding that we are not dealing with age-related decline, we are dealing with a sedentary culture, two different things. And if we can change that message and inform, I would say a lot of people who feel that they're too far past where they can make an improvement. Like we do a lot of work trying to create a movement culture, regular daily movement, not only exercise, and I think for a lot of people, their belief is that message isn't for them because alongside that, they have a, oh, no, you decline as you get older. Mm-hmm. Every, everyone knows that. It's all downhill. It's over the hill. It's black sure. and white party favors. <laughs> but it's like, what age does that happen? Because right now we've got four people and and many, many others many, that I yeah, work with that are, are trending upward. And any physical test you could have given them based on the physical inputs that you put in. So- I think that that's, I mean, as a, as, you know, thinking about the science of movement from an academic perspective, from a science perspective, I think that this is very important. Of course, I think that their, their stories and the book is, is really wonderful and a helpful tool, but I am really interested in this larger phenomenon of how people are understanding movement and, and how that affects us culturally, you know, how, how that keeps us a sedentary culture. Yeah, well, hopefully this will help change a little bit of that direction of that. Sure. Well, even if it only changes the person, the reading it, then that's fine. You've changed the world. I'm asking this for my 84-year-old mother mm-hmm. whose balance is terrible. Sure. I and mean, she has been very, not active enough, and that's why I'm here yeah. to be an inspiration for Yeah. Her. <laughs> well, the whole book is to exercise. Yes. I mean, what is, I mean, balance is, I mean, to balance, not to exercise. It's the strength of your feet. Right. It's the strength of your hips. It's how frequently you get up and even expose your body mm-hmm. to gravity. So did you get her book? Yes. It will all work her through that. But just what would be, like, what's your favorite balance exercise? Or what's the exercise that you mm. pull out? Or how do you practice balance? How do you challenge your balance? All the time. Well, how? Getting up off the floor. And being able to sustain my weight without coming out of balance. Well, yes, it's in your life. But if you were to practice it, like for me, like I'll do this. Like I'll talk a lot just on one foot. That's my like little trick. Do you have like a little thing that you do? Tell us. Yes, pelvic listing. Yeah. Uh, All the time. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm, I have a standing workstation in my office. And as I'm there, I will pelvic list on one side and then pelvic list on the other side. And then I have one of those squishy squishy things like that has air in balance it. Platform. Yeah, and so I'll do it then up on that, and then I'll do it on a block, and then I'll do it on an inverted half dome. So different uh, different surfaces, mm-hmm. yeah. 
And then the BOSU. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the BOSU is, often, yeah. is awesome. Totally awesome. But lines become but, different because yeah. you can practice pelvic list in any line. Grocery, right. bank, yeah. waiting for a signal. That was huge change for me in getting the strength. Waiting for a signal on foot? Yeah. I love I love that because my 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 reflex was like how is she listening in the car? <laughs> yeah, because she's walking through her town. All right, that's great. <laughs> and for me, it's ditto. Um, and I also walk a lot, so yeah. it's waiting for lights or the list. Pelvic list is the money. Yeah. Chapter four was the walking chapter, and I don't know why, but it was my favorite. I felt it was... That makes sense. <laughs> does it? I don't know. I just felt like it was the most comprehensive. Like if I could get... At first, when I read it, I thought, wow, if I could get a goldener to just read one chapter, that'd be it. But now I think about it, it's like, wow, if I could get anybody to read one chapter, it was just very comprehensive because it just starts with the mechanics. It's not overwhelming. And then adds in all the different vitamins, like vitamin texture, vitamin community, and why, how that all affects someone. And then the practice and variations, you could keep busy with that walking chapter for a long time, mm-hmm. I think, and really build a lot just out of that one chapter. Well done, you. I liked the walking chapter. And not Noted. just because just I walk, like walking. Danny approved. Yes. Sidebars, Danny, walking, Danny. It's all good. Yeah. And then it was also good. You want me to keep talking about it? Like the fit to drive, that also. Okay, so there's a chapter in the book called Fit to Drive. And I thought the addition of that was very thoughtful because it was about ways that you can condition yourself so that driving isn't a scary or prohibited thing. Well, again, that, that came from... So when I thought I would do this book... Now, keep in mind, you know, you always harp on me for writing books when I say that I wouldn't write books... A lot of the content that's in this book, I had already written or done the research for. Like the bulk of the work was already there. It it needed lots of TLC, but the big part was there, including Fit to Drive was was a piece for personal trainers that I wrote a few years ago for IDEA which is the kind of the governing board Mm -hmm. of uh, health and fitness. And so it was just something like, you know, trying to help trainers go like a lot of your clients, when we talk about what's a functional exercise, we don't think of driving as a physical thing, right? Driving is actually often touted as the thing that you do when you're not exercising. That all being said, there are lots of movements that go into driving. And when you are unable to do them, you are no longer able to drive safely. And I just thought, it's, you know, there's an art of trying to motivate people or to make movement pertinent to their life. We wouldn't think, I mean, I would say that a lot of people, my father's 90. I, I work with and am around septuagenarian, octogenarian, and nonagenarians every day. <laughs> I am around this population of people and I have always been drawn a lot of the work again that I did yeah. as far as movement training and stuff. I, I kind of gravitated towards that, that particular population. I just, I just enjoy, I enjoy the wisdom. And I found that people weren't really motivated to fix their hips and knees because they could get that fixed at the doctor's office, right? They don't really see how that related to movement, but I was like, well, did you know that when it comes time 
when other people can weigh in on whether or not you get to keep your driver's license, that there's a mobility test at the end of that. And it was like shock. They're like, what do you mean? It's like, yeah, like that's, that is an assessment to make sure that someone is mobile enough to drive because you have to have very quick responses to drive. Right. You have to be able to move your foot from one side to the other and know how hard you're pushing it or not pushing the pedals. And you have to be able to look behind you. And so I was able to create like these mini mobility. So instead of doing chair fitness, like just non-purpose move because you're supposed to, because it's healthy, which is very easy for a population. Like to talk about optimal wellness works for a very particular culture. It is not a human interest. It is a a interest of a particular culture, right? So we keep trying to sell the, we're trying to sell movement to the, to one culture of people that, that is not inclusive for most of the people that you're trying, that you're dealing with on a regular basis. And I would be like, all right, this is, this is the driving workout. All right. Hands on the wheel. All right. Back up. Oh, you can't see over your shoulder. Oh, all right. Well, let's do that. You know, and I Mm -hmm. just was able to put that in and it now had a purpose. And then any exercise that they learned in that class automatically had they had a space. They drove there. They were going to drive home. Right. As soon as they got in, they could relate those movements, those exercises back to this thing that they were doing. And so they doubled or tripled the number of times that they were doing them. So I've uh, that's how I always teach move. That's how I think about movement. But I put that chapter in because I thought, we need this, right? Yeah. Like this is, this is a, we talk about functional exercise. This is a functional exercise. to hike in national parks and I take walking sticks because mm-hmm. I just feel more secure, comfortable, stable because my knees sometimes are a little tweaky or I'm on rocks or crossing streams, all that. Do you think eventually I just are those training my body? Yeah. <laughs> I'm smiling, right? I'm smiling. I... I see a lot of sticks. I, I understand the, the sticks, and I have friends who are through hikers. So the idea of a stick, like sticks I feel go really well with through hiking, meaning 20 to 30 miles a day. Because what a stick allows you to do is one, it increases your base of support, so it reduces your body's need to do its own work to stabilize itself. That was nice and gentle. <laughs> the other thing it does is it allows you to kind of use your arms as legs, right? It allows you to share the work. You're going to be on paths, like we've gone hiking, where it's not so perfectly carved out. And a lot of times, you know, you're actually on your hands to stabilize you a little bit. Like you go up on all fours. But I'll see people come through, and now I see 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds hiking five-mile hikes, three-mile hikes with their boots and their poles. And what they're doing is they are experiencing a supported more stable walk, right? That's the benefit. The adaptation, I won't even say that it's not the benefit, but the adaptation is your body is less able to do that without the sticks. So no sticks, you don't have that same level of support. So you train towards needing something outside of your body to stabilize you. That then puts you at risk anytime you don't have those sticks. So the trans- if you're on them and you already have mileage, then the plan would be 
Can you do portions of it without? If you're doing short hikes, can you go without? Maybe bring them for you because you might realize like, wow, I, my legs weren't strong enough to take me all the way there, then my arms were part of it, and then you just decrease the frequency of them. It, mostly it was for stability. We liked Hikton and Zion National Park and the Virgin River, and the water was like up Sure. The yeah. Well, in river crossings, yeah. in river crossings, yeah. sure, sticks are fine. Yeah. That kind of stuff, those those scenarios, when you're doing the very rare thing of putting on 40 extra pounds under your back that you don't train with all the time, but I've seen them used really in walks in the park <laughs> for daily walks. So I think it's just, you know, it's not about is it right or wrong, it's just more like what's the physiological adaptations to using them. That's really all I have comments on. Mm-hmm. You said in the chapter about reaching, carrying, lifting, and other functional movements that alongside walking, though, are other functional whole body motions we can call on each day. Getting up, getting down, carrying, lifting, reaching, taking the stairs, and touching your toes. These activities open up not only our knees, hips, and shoulders, but also the experiences Mm -hmm. available to you. I love that. So twoo. So twoo. (sighs) And the movement is part of life chapter. There is a little story about Laura. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. Basically, she just talks about what happens on a daily basis. She carries out her wet wash. And she has seven rain barrels. And then she distributes, uses her body to distribute that water on her land where it's needed. She catches the buckets of water in her shower when the cold water's running before it gets warm enough for the shower. And then... She uses that to rinse her dirty dishes. Okay. How old is Laura? 70s somewhere. Okay. The 70s. Okay. Mid 70s. So she does that. And then the water she uses in fruit food prep, which has vitamins in it, she carries it around in the buckets to plant to the plantings in her yard. Okay. She's like hauling all this water all day long. And when I read that, I could hear somebody saying, like, and I hear this at home a lot, yeah, who would want to do that? Like, she's doing all this stuff, and the first thought somebody would have is, who'd want to do that? But I looked at that and thought, wow, look how she can do all that. Because it's not just, like, it's her choice to do that, but she can. And that's the cool part to me. Well, that's right. I mean, in the end, I think we touched on this a couple episodes ago. She's an environmentalist, right? For her to be able to take action means she has to literally take action. Mm-hmm. If if she's not, hold on, hold on a second. I got like, my nose is full of snot. <laughs> it's so gross. Hold on, I'll be right back. Ah. Her nose is full of snot. She left the room to blow it. Her nose is full of snot. Oh, baby, don't you know it? Blow, blow, blow. And maybe you should netty. Oh, Come on, blow your nose, you snotty little Betty. <laughs> Sounds like she's really ripping the Kleenexes out of the box, too. It's like my brain just dumped a huge wad of snot. Like, it just discharged it. <laughs> so what what Laura is oh, doing... She's an environment. Yeah. Yeah, Laura is an environmentalist, so... She is looking for ways to conserve energy by using her own body, by saving her water. Her her ideals by which she lives her life 
are made more possible by her physicality, right? And so these are the things that she wishes to be able to do. She doesn't necessarily wish to be able to do athletic endeavors, you know, that like she wants to be physical to execute her life in the way that she chooses, which is a luxury that most of us listening to this have. So she's just chosen to take the physical steps to to make her body that robust. That's so cool. Well, and that's why it's about your life. She has her PMS, her personal mission statement, and then she has the ability to execute it. And that is so cool. She sees how movement relates to it. Mm -hmm. I would say that part of the Part of the personal mission statement, that process is to help you see how movement relates, how your movement relates to the things that you would like to do with your life. Right now, I don't know if that's apparent. We don't necessarily see the movement component that ends up accomplishing, you know, maybe more of the goals. And so we struggle trying to fit it all in. So she does, she found a way to embody her own her own value system, right? She's embodying mm-hmm. the value system. Yep. Yeah. That was They're cool. all great. I was wondering, Joan, if you would share the story that we got interrupted with when we were talking in the office. You were talking to me to me about your conscious decision about aging. Do you remember that? No. Would you share that story because well one, we got interrupted, but it was great. It was very inspiring. <laughs> Do you mind? No, if, okay. if I can remember. <laughs> By the way, these exercises are all great for your memory. Um, <laughs> well, you don't care anymore. When I, as I was getting older, I kept looking for role models older than I am. And um, what I saw was that society kind of imposes upon us how we should look at aging. So the fact that we, some of us choose to color our hair when it starts to gray, the fact that, you know, a variety of things. And I thought, you know, I've never aged before, so I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna watch and see what happens. And so it's, it's been, you know, it's been interesting. I, <laughs> what, what can I tell you? But I wanted a role model when I was <clears throat> pretty close to 60. I looked around for a role model, and I asked friends, you know, could you show me somebody who's really healthy at 60? Because that really seemed pretty old to me. <laughs> Not so much anymore. Uh, anyway, so I was introduced to a lady who was a, she was working at a gym, and uh, she was, oh my gosh. I mean, I was sick already when I looked at her because she was just so trim and buff, and oh my gosh, it was incredible. And then I learned that she'd never had any children, so it was, you know, it wasn't my model of, of what my life was going to look like since I've had three. Uh, and not that that makes a particular difference, but it does. It, it still does. There are certain patterns. Like Sheila and I have talked about carrying kids on a hip. And you don't realize, you know, that you carry your kid on the same hip all the time. But anyway, the whole thing about aging, I think, is, oh, well, I'm always looking for someone older than I am who, for a role model. And what I'm realizing is that uh, we can do it ourselves. We can, you know, this, this has worked. And that's why we originally got together to share this information was the fact that for each one of us in our own way, working Katie's work has made a difference in our lives and it's been a, an upward spiral. So, is that what you... It is, and I think the cool thing about that 
is that y'all just became role models. You're the role models now. Yeah. And, and I think that's pretty amazing. Yeah, thank you. still to sign. Yeah, so thank you thanks. very much for being part of this. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah, sign books and talk and chat. So at the end, there's all these little like blurbs about getting movement, moving more in your daily life, like change your yeah. closet, which I think every movement book should have that no matter who writes it, you know, and rethink your furniture make your kitchen more movement rich, all that stuff. Then you have a really nice flow at the end. Like mm-hmm. a movement flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to ask, are you going to do a DVD of that eventually? I doubt it. Really? Sorry. I think you should. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I've put so much out there. I mean, I just I know, I don't know if I'm I would just make thinking about people like going through their book and doing this. There's the practicality of it. I don't know. I think it'd be a good idea, but not like you don't have a shortage of things to do. Just, yeah, I think there's I think there's some people who follow move. I mean, like all these exercises are already in existing right. videos, right? There's nothing that's not here. No, so if you're a but video person, flow, you probably, you know, yeah. I don't know. No pressure or anything. Have you done Have you done the movement multivitamin and the flows? Those yes, two flows there. Yes. So there's two flows there. Yes. I would say that. I suppose that I mean, could be yeah. This exact. I mean, this exact routine. I mean, I there could be hundreds and hundreds of routines. That's true. Yeah. That's true. You can teach the flow in your class. Okay. Well, I look Dynamic forward to that because I have a lot of goldeners I like to teach as well. And I think this is really going to be huge. Well, I really look forward to my hard copy of the book. And it is awesome. <laughs> it really is. We'll get you a, we'll get you a signed copy there. Yeah. Sure. Well, I'm gonna have, I'll schlep it back and they can sign it. Uh, maybe okay. you could sign it too. I don't know. Maybe. All right. Well, I think we're All done. Right. All right. Thanks for listening. For more information, books, and online exercise classes, you can find me at nutritiousmovement.com and you can find Danny Hemmett. More from Danny Hemmett. I don't know if Danny, Danny actually lives at our website, but if she does, it's Move Your Better. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me say that again. Well, now I you have can to find move. More from Dan- <laughs> That's right. You can find more from Danny Hemmett at moveyourbodybetter.com. See you later. Bye. you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such.